Somebody just whistle at me? Is that what I heard? I don't know if it was directed at somebody else, but I'll just assume it was for me. Happens all the time. You know what I mean, George. At least once a decade. Sheesh. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Everybody doing well? Our God is good, amen? We serve an amazing God. It's a privilege to be able to do this, to worship Him and give Him our attention and our affection. Love you guys. The Lord loves us so much. Hey, I, I think you may know this already, but I just want to remind you, um, Pastor Dave's going in today for another bout of cancer treatment, and uh, he's doing well. He, he and Joni were here last night. Um, he looked amazing. He looked fantastic. He looked strong, and he needs to be strong for what he's about to partake on in the next couple days. So I know you're praying. I just, I'm begging you to please keep praying for our beloved pastor as the, the Lord's working in his life physically. Um, I just want to take a moment to pray for that. Is that okay? Lord, we lift up our beloved, beloved pastor and friend and brother in Christ, uh, Pastor Dave. And we lift up Joni and the kids as well and the grandkids as they worry about their, um, as their loved one, uh, our brother, our brother Dave. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would uh, strengthen his body, that you would comfort the family, that you would come alongside and give wisdom to those that are uh, caring for him in this time of need. And uh, Lord, that your peace would just permeate all those that are involved, that are uh, just love Dave. Um, just give us your peace, Holy Spirit, we pray. We lift him up to you. We lift up this week to you. Um, just touch him, please, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Um, so I don't know, you know, people talk, right? And so I don't know if you got wind, but there, something happened a couple weeks ago where my wife and I, we, we co-lead a community group with Josh and Allie Brackett on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. And there's another community group that meets Sunday nights at 6 o'clock also. And so we're just minding our own business as a community group. And then we get an email from that community group that they want to challenge us to a bowling. <laughs> of which, of course... I accept. You know, I'm, I'm competitive, right? And then they kind of did, well, in my opinion, a little bit of smack talking before we even threw the first ball down the lane. So, and then they made a trophy for the victor, uh, Jeff Cowell, and oh, I happen to have it here. I, I don't know, I don't know who put this here, but you know, since it's here, I thought I'd share it with you. This was the trophy for the winning team. I'm going to give you one guess which team won. Pastor Mark's team won, because God is on my side. <laughs> you guys got you to you know who to pick a fight with, right? And then I was accused of practicing afterwards. They heard that, and my wife did that on purpose. She kind of said, I think he practiced. Anyway, we had, we had a lot of fun. There's not a number two trophy. There's only a number one trophy. <laughs> and I don't know if I mentioned, oh, Jeff, hi, Jeff. You're in that other group, right? Yeah, sorry, buddy. This... This resides proudly in my office. If you want to see it, there's a stairwell. You can go in the corner, and my office is right up there. Just walk in and take a look. Feel free to take photos. I don't mind. And then, oh, it's right. You were one of the smack talkers, Shimkiss, and you know what I'm talking about. I'm gonna, oh, a candy bar, too. This is a great day for me. If I put it here, can you guys all see it? Does anybody have a bad view? Not on the piano? So here's the moral to the story. Join a community group. It'll be good for your soul and you might get a trophy. 
Thank you. Thank you, yes. <laughs> Applause are cheap, send money. That was so fun. I warned you, and here's what's funny, your husband's not even here. Did you at least take a picture of me doing that? Let me tell you what we did last Sunday. Last Sunday was Mother's Day. Our group took Mother's Day off. Their group was more spiritual than us, and they met. So my wife showed up last Sunday to their group while they were having supper with a Bose speaker, full blast, playing the um, Olympic theme song, holding our trophy while we entered in through the doorway of their home. <laughs> and then I said, oh, I had no idea you were all going to be here. This is really, really, a, what a coincidence. I'm such a sore, I'm such a sore winner. What did you say? <laughs> all right, I'm done. I'll never do that again today. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting to do that. I got pictures, I got video, I got all kinds of stuff. So fun. What a blessing. It was such a blessing. It really was. It's good to have fun in the Lord. Let me open with this. In his book, The Old Man and the Sea, Ernest Hemingway tells the story of a Cuban fisherman who went out, uh, 84 days he was out without a strike in the Gulf Stream. He hadn't caught nothing for 84 days. And then late one afternoon, he hooked a giant fish, so huge and powerful that it towed his skiff for two days before the exhausted fisherman, mustering his last ounce of strength, finally harpooned the monster. It was lashed to the craft, and the old man was happy. His guess was that it weighed about 1,500 pounds. It would buy a lot. However, he had not reckoned with the sharks. When he arrived home, all he had left was the gigantic head and a skeleton. Man, not his idea of getting ahead in life. <laughs> it behooves us to contemplate the sharks of the soul, lest we bypass the great prize. Here's the deal. We, we give our lives to Jesus Christ, and we, we have this great prize, and then the enemy wants to come in and just eat away at us and, and remove that prize from us. There are some verses in Scripture that reference that. Matthew 10, verse 16, Jesus says as much. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And so then Paul picks up on that and says the same thing in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so it's great. We, we commit our lives to Christ. But then on some level, a different kind of work, another serious kind of work begins. There's a poem that I want to share with you. I think it's fantastic. The poem goes this way. It says, one step won't take you very far. You've got to keep on walking. One word won't tell folks who you are. You've got to keep on talking. One inch won't make you very tall. You've got to keep on growing. And one deed won't do it all. You've got to keep on going. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, the verses that we're in today, talks about this need to continue to press on in Christ. This need to press on. This need to press on. Many of us here, I will presume, have had a week where they've wondered, either in a day or in a moment or all week, Lord, it's hard. It's hard to press on. And Paul wants to encourage us to press on. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, I'm just so grateful for laughter. Lord, I'm grateful for community. I'm grateful for brothers and sisters in Christ where we can do the silly stuff together and we can do the heavy lifting together as well. That we can go through your word and be challenged by, by your word and by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that when we're down, that you pick us up. When we wonder if we can muster up 
any energy to move forward that we read from Paul that we are able to press on by keeping our eyes fixed on, on Jesus and not giving the enemy an opportunity to wipe us out. And so, Father, we present our lives to you this morning and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way with us as you mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We are indeed in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. If you're not there already, turn to chapter 3. We're in verses 12 through 16 of Philippians, chapter 3. We use the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. If you're on your phone, you can look for the NASB, or if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you in the seat. You can take that home if you need one for home. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Listen to this pressing on language that Paul uses in all the verses. Verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained it, and he's actually referring to the things that he listed in verse 10, which we covered last week. Not that I have already obtained those things in verse 10, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. What attitude? The attitude that he just listed in 12, 13, and 14. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude to keep pressing on. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. In other words, if you think you're done growing, if you think that there's not a need to press on, God will reveal that to you. Paul entrusts them to the Lord. However, in the meantime, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. The message, as you can see, is permanent press. Paul has a permanence about his pressing on. Paul has a permanence about his pressing on. If there's nothing else that describes you in your relationship with Jesus Christ, I hope and pray that you have a permanent press lifestyle that you will never give up, that you will press on and press on and press on and press on, I hope and I pray. Let's glance at why we see this in these verses. It's in all five verses. Check it out. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained it or become perfect, but I press on, he writes, so that I can become mature in Christ. Look at verse 13. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I press on. I reach forward to what lies ahead. And then in verse 14, he opens the same way. He says, I press on toward the goal. And then in verse 15, he says, it's an attitude thing. Let us, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. So he mentions that, again, that we are to have that attitude of pressing on that he mentions in verses 12, verses 13, and verses 14. And then he says it again in verse 16. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Oh, church, 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 if nothing else, may we be found diligent. If nothing else, be found diligent diligent. There's some brilliant people who know a lot about God's Word, but they're not following Christ because they're not diligent in their walk with Christ. We can all be press-on people. 
Each and every one of us can be press-on people. Each one of us. It's not a spiritual gift. It's not a talent that we're born with. It's an attitude that we can all develop to be press-on people. Look at the middle of verse 13. Paul's really emphasizing this. He says, in the middle of 13, but one thing I do. Oh, really? If Paul says, but one thing I do, that's probably important. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. I reach forward to what lies ahead. And then he says in verse 14, I press on. This reaching forward in verse 13, when he says reaching forward to what lies ahead, literally means stretching as in a race. Many of us have athletic backgrounds, right? We know what it means to exert ourselves, to stretch so that we can win. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we're to run the race as if to what? Three-letter word, W-I-N. We're to run the race as if to win. And if we're going to run the race as if to win, we're going to have to press on and press on and stretch. Do the words that are used in verse 12 describe you and I. When he says in verse 12, but I press on so that I may lay hold of. And he says basically Christ likeness or Christ maturity. Do those words describe you? But I press on so that I may be. But I press on so that I may be. Do those words describe you? I press on so that I may be a good husband. I press on that I may be a good father. I press on that I may be a good son to my heavenly father. I press on that I can be a good brother or sister in Christ. I press on that I can be a good neighbor. I press on because I want the Lord to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Do we use those words? But I press on so that I may what? Does that describe you? That press on used here by Paul is used by Greeks to describe a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey. Is that how you pursue your relationship with the Lord? Like a hunter who eagerly pursues his prey. Or are we unlike Paul? Paul says, I haven't already obtained it. I haven't already become perfect. Are you unlike Paul where you have already obtained perfection? Is that you? Paul says he hasn't. One pastor tells this story. He says, most people read biographies hoping that they may discover the secret that made someone great. I recall, the pastor writes, a grade school assembly years ago listening to an elderly doctor who promised to tell us the secret of his long, healthy life. He was even at one time physician to the president. All of us sat there with great expectation, eager to learn the secret to a long and successful life. At the climax of his discourse, the doctor tells us this, drink eight glasses of water a day. That was supposed to be funny. That was the climax of his message. Basic stuff, simple stuff, vanilla kind of stuff. That was the highlight of his success. And that's what Paul is saying. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. That was Paul's eight glasses of water a day. His ability to press on and to press on and to press on. Amen? Here's our outline for today, for our five verses. The first stanza is Paul's imperfection. And the second stanza is Paul's perfection. 
I don't know if it happens to you, but it looks like Paul goes from being imperfect to perfect in three verses. It takes me usually 30, right? It's just what it says in verse 12. He says, not that I've already become perfect. That's what he says in 12. And then in 15, he says, as many as, as are perfect, let us have this attitude. Well, which one is it, Paul? I'm, I'm confused. We'll break that down. Let's read verses 12, 13, and 14 again. Paul's imperfection. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. As a spiritual giant, in the eyes of the Philippian saints, that's what Paul was. As a spiritual giant in their eyes, Paul wanted them to know that he had not attained the things that he had stated earlier in verse 10. Even though Paul had been saved for 30 years, he had not yet attained to full-blown Christ-likeness in his 30 years. Here's what I think happens to a disciple after 30 diligent years of serving the Lord. Here's what I think happens, like Paul, to a disciple who diligently serves the Lord for 30 years. You know what I think happens to a disciple who serves diligently for 30 years? They grow. They grow. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to grow? Here's my definition of, of growth, okay? This is Pastor Mark's definition of a growing Christian. A growing Christian is one whose gap seems to grow bigger the closer they get to Christ. Doesn't that make sense on some level? Like the more we, 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 we get closer to Christ and we become Christ-like, we realize how far we still have yet to go. That's just, what, that's just, it's not a theological doctrinal thing. Don't get too crazy. That's just my definition of what it means to grow closer to the Lord. It's as I, as I get closer to him, it seems like the gap gets bigger. Another way to put it is this, is the more Christ-like I become, the more like Christ I realize I'm not. The more Christ-like I become, the more like Christ I realize I'm not. And that's both exhilarating and, and energizing. And sometimes it's like, oh, Lord, I've got so far to go. Mostly I'm encouraged. Every once in a while it's like, oh, man, I'm still so immature, even though I'm getting closer and closer, it seems like that gap grows. It's because I'm having a more mature understanding of my humanity and his perfection. And it's a beautiful thing. See, here's the reality, church. Many Christians are satisfied because they compare themselves not with Christ, but with who? Other Christians. Here's the deal. If you want to feel great about yourself, compare yourself to me. You'll feel wonderful. But if you compare yourself to Christ, it might be a different story, right? I'm like a really low bar. You want to set the bar low? You got me, right? You want to feel good about yourself? Just say, well, compared to Pastor Mark, I'm brilliant. Compared to Christ, I got some troubles, right? Paul compared himself with Christ. Look at what he says in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, bless you, but I press on so that what? So that I may lay hold of what? Of that which was laid hold of by me by Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul had not yet attained perfection or ultimate conformity to Jesus Christ. He had not yet attained ultimate conformity to Jesus Christ. 
All throughout Scripture, church, we are warned against having a false estimate of ourselves and our spiritual condition. We are. Warren Wiersbe says this. I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. He says, a divine dissatisfaction is essential for spiritual progress. Do you have that? Do you have a divine dissatisfaction so that you can spiritually progress? Paul did. I believe we must, on some level, have a divine dissatisfaction. It's dangerous if we don't, I believe. The psalmist says the same thing in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. We know this verse, these verses. As the deer, right? As the deer pants for or longs for water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? It hasn't happened a lot of times in my life, but those moments where you're so thirsty. Have you, do you, can you recall those moments where you just want water? Nothing gets in your way of wanting that water and needing that water. That's what the psalmist is describing. Do we long for the Lord or do we not? And so here's the encouragement. If Paul felt the need to press on, shouldn't we? If Paul felt the need to press on for as dialed in as he was, I imagine that we also have moments like that where we just need to press on and press on and press on. Here are some key components to staying grounded in our imperfection. (laughs) If you want to stay grounded in your imperfection, I'm going to give you a couple things to do so. They're not on the screen, but if you want to write them down, three things. The first one is don't regard. Don't regard. That's the first thing. I'll talk about that in a second. That's in verse 13. Don't regard. The second thing is do forget. First one, don't regard. The second one is do forget. This will help you stay grounded in your imperfection. Do forget is also in verse 13. The third one is receive rewards. That's in verse 14. Don't regard, do forget, and receive rewards in verse 14. Let's look at the first one. Look at verse 13. Paul says, I do, he says, brethren, I do not regard myself. See, that's an attitude thing. He's not saying I haven't by some objective measuring tool. He says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. We must be careful. Scripture warns about us regarding ourselves too highly. Did you know that? And oftentimes we regard ourselves too highly. And Paul says not to do that. Matter of fact, he also says it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. It's another way of saying, don't regard yourselves too highly. Always be rooted in pressing on towards Christ's likeness because the minute you regard yourself too highly, that's where the enemy has an opportunity. We must always be on our game, church. We're What Paul's saying is what Christ, what he said about Christ just a chapter earlier. Go to chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 5 and 6. You'll see the same thing mentioned about Christ, this regard for himself. Verse 5, Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So that's what Paul is saying. Paul even says it in the book of Romans. He says to the the Romans in chapter 12, I think, he says that we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we should. So we must be careful how we regard ourselves because the enemy is waiting for us to regard ourselves highly. 
The second component was do forget, right? So don't regard, but do forget. Look at verse 13 again, back in chapter 3. Brethren, I do not regard myself highly as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. Mm. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on, I reach forward. See, here's the deal. We know this. We know this. We know this. Many Christians are handcuffed by past regrets. Many of us in this room right now are still handcuffed by things that have happened in our past. And we're trying to run the race looking backward. What happens if you try to run the race looking backward? You're not going to do well. What actually happens is you stumble and you fall and you get in the way of other runners or other brothers and sisters in Christ when we run the race looking backwards. We're handcuffed by our past. On the flip side, however, our other Christian runners are being distracted by the successes of their past. Mm. And that's just as gnarly. That's just as bad. Let me explain that in a second. Here's a quote I want to give you as well. The enemy wants to remind you of your past, and the Lord wants to remind you of your future. Here's how the enemy reminds us of our past. When we failed and we've not done well, He wants us to think that we're a failure and we have all these past regrets. How can God use you? Look at your past. You've had all these failures, all these mistakes, all these times of denying Christ, not living your life for Him, saying you were going to follow Him and you didn't. You're not going to follow Him this time. And so He just beats you up with all the regrets of your past so that you won't follow Him, so you won't press on. Or He says... Look at how well you're doing. You're reading your Bible every day. You go to church every Sunday. You're involved in a community group, and you do this and you do that. You should take your foot out of the gas a little bit. You're doing great. You're such a better Christian than the person to your left and the person to your right. And so he wants us to celebrate our past experiences that are fantastic to get us off of our game. Oh, I won't read today. I've been reading my Bible every day for the last three years. I deserve a week off, a month off, maybe a quarter off. So the enemy wants to remind you of your past, whether it's good or bad, anything he can do to distract you from pressing on into Christ's likeness, anything. The third component is receive rewards in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Church, we're rewarded. We get a prize for pressing on and doing well. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we know that it's real and that it's going to happen. Paul, here in these verses, seems to have the Greek athletic games in mind. The winner was called in the games, the winner would be called to where the judge sat in order to receive his prize. And that's what's going to happen with us when we go before our our judge, our Heavenly Father. Paul may be referring to ultimate salvation in God's presence or to receiving rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, but probably he's referring to both. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us this. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay? So that's our first stanza. Paul's imperfection. Now, went to our second stanza, Paul's perfection. Let's reread verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, huh, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, 
God will reveal that also to you. However, in the meantime, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have already attained. So what's going on here? There's two different uses of, we see the word perfect in 12, verse 12, we see the word perfect in verse 15. Verse 12, the Greek word is teleo, or teleo. That is, in verse 12, it's finished, it's completed, it's to be perfected. It's an accomplished work. Teleos is verse 15. You have teleo in verse 12, teleos in verse 15. And that means to be spiritually mature, being at an advanced state of spiritual development. That's many of us in this room. Spiritually mature, not perfected, but being perfected. That's the difference. In other words, here's what Paul's saying when, he, when you put it all together. This is what he's saying. One mark of being perfect is the knowledge that one is not perfect. Get it? One mark of being perfect is understanding that we're not perfect. Let me, it reads better this way. In other words, one mark of being spiritually mature is the knowledge that one is not completely mature, right? That's what it means to be spiritually mature, is to realize that we're not completely mature, we're not perfect, we're being perfected. And so, because of that, what do we do? We press on, and we press on, and we press on. The mature Christian honestly evaluates himself and strives to do better. What I also like is that Paul tells us that we can entrust others into the hands of the Lord. Look at the latter part of verse 15. I'll read all of 15. He says, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, the attitude of verses 12, 13, and 14. But if you don't, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. I've said this in the last two services, and just because my wife's here, I'll say it again, whether you're here or not. My wife's excellent at this. She's taught me this for 30 years of our marriage. Where she says, well, just who do you think you are that you need to set them straight? Let God do that. That clay is in better hands if, they're in, if that clay is in God's hands than if they're in your hands. Right? She's just good at that. And I've gotten really good at that too. Because I got tired of hearing how I was wrong all the time. It was just true. She was so right. I learned that over the years, to just submit people over. I just think sometimes the church fails in that regard, where somebody's, their attitude needs some adjusting, or they need to do something differently in the Lord, and we want to be the one that sets them straight. We want to correct them. We want to tell them how they should live their life. And Paul says, I love them. They're doing fine. God will reveal that to them. And just submitting them over to the Lord, committing them to the Lord, letting the Holy Spirit work in their lives. Yes, there's times when we need to talk to people. Yes, there's times when we need to go talk to our brother and sister. But we're not so great at just turning them over and praying for them and letting the Lord work in their life. I love that about Paul. And I think we can learn from that. Lastly, as we continue to press and mature, may we never abandon that which we have accomplished in the Lord. May we never abandon, as we grow and mature, and let me ask you this, are there times when it seems like you're just not growing and you're just not maturing? Or is it just me? Does it seem like you have moments where it just seems stale? Like, Lord, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work, but I feel like I've flatlined for the last day or the last week or the last month or the last year or the last decade. May we never abandon that which we have accomplished in the Lord. That's what he says in verse 16. Check it out. He says, however, 
right? If you're not going to have that attitude, and while I'm praying for you in verse 15 that God will reveal that to you, at least, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. As we know biblically, we have attained a righteous and exalted position in Christ. That's what we have attained. We are declared righteous, and we have an exalted and righteous position in Christ the minute we commit our lives to Christ. And so Paul's saying, live up to that standard while God's stretching you and while he's growing you. And because there's a reaping and sowing time, isn't there? It, biblically, there's a time of sowing and a time of reaping. And so many of us who feel like things have just flatlined, press on, press on, press on, press on. I pray, press on. A delayed reaping. Many of us are sowing and we're sowing and we're sowing and we're sowing and we're wondering when will the reaping come? And a delayed reaping may cause us to be weary. But in the meantime, we do what verse 16 says. We keep living with what we know we have in Christ. And see, Paul addresses that in the book of Galatians. If you recall Galatians 6, verses 7, 8, 9. This, this is strong language, church. He says, do not be deceived. The enemy is the deceiver. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You're going to sow to the flesh, from the flesh you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, eternal life. Verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good. Why does Paul say that? Because he knows we're going to be tempted to lose heart in doing good. That's why he says, don't lose heart in doing good. Because we'll have a propensity to lose heart in doing good. Let us not lose heart in doing good. Why? <laughs> For in due time, in due time, we will reap if we don't grow weary. And so Paul is saying, press on. You're like, yeah, but I've been, I've just, I've been three months and three years or, you know, a decade. Press on, press on, press on. You will reap. That's what he says. If you do not grow weary, let us not lose heart. And it's why we need one another. It's why we need the church. It's why we need community groups. So that we can help one another to press on so that they don't grow weary because we desperately are wanting the reaping so, so, so bad. I've still got things in my life that I wonder if the Lord's ever. Right? I'm going to work in that area of my life. And I'm sure you do too. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I press on. And I just want to encourage you to do the same. So I ask you, on a scale from 1 to 10... Two questions. What is your current desire to press on in the Lord? As you sit right now, from one to ten, are you a three, are you a four, are you a seven? What is your current desire as you sit in your seat to press on into Christ-likeness? But more importantly, I would ask you this. What is your consistent desire? What score would you give yourself there? Because you're going to have moments where it's just not a good score. You're going to have days or moments where it's a two or a four. But what is your consistent score? Do you have a consistent desire to be like Christ? If you do, I promise you, there is a season of reaping. There's a harvest if we do not grow weary. Amen? God is so good to us. He's so good to us. I'm going to invite up the worship team. I'm going to pray. And our prayer team, as always, is available down here in the corner to my left. Press on today. Press on this week. Press on the rest of this month. Press on the rest of this year. Press on. Do not grow weary. Your harvest is coming. Amen? Almighty God, we love you and we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for Paul's example that in his uh, stellar Christ-likeness, he realized in his perfection that he was still imperfect, that he had not yet attained to ultimate Christ-like behavior. And so we are encouraged that Paul is encouraging us to press on. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower any and every person here that is struggling just with pressing on in Christ's likeness, that you would meet them in a mighty way, that they would be refreshed and renewed and energized by you because you are the power that makes all things happen. So we just commit this time to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.